Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. This is going to be a longer video than normal because it's involving a very lengthy case. I got a ton of comments last night because a big case came down, a big ruling came down. And I have talked about this case before. And of course, the case I'm talking about is the one that rocked the chess world, where Hans Moke Niemann sued a whole bunch of people, including Magnus Carlsen and Chess.com. And so that case happened. He filed it. It got dismissed by the Eastern District of Missouri, U.S. District Court, Eastern Division, and the court threw it out. Now, I saw several people in the media yesterday saying the case got thrown out and cannot be refiled. That is not correct. That is not correct. Parts of it cannot be refiled, and it cannot be refiled in this district court, in federal court. However, it could still theoretically be filed, refiled in state court. And so um, I will forgive the people I saw who say that because they aren't attorneys, and I don't think they'd read the actual lawsuit or the opinion itself. Um, and uh, I know that like the Wall Street Journal covered it, as did others. Uh, and so I have the actual opinion in my hand, and it is quite lengthy. I will zoom through it because I know where the important parts are. I pre-read it. So Hans Moke Niemann versus Sven Magnus Un Carlson. <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce O with a line through it, E-N, uh, and others. Uh, and this is the memorandum and order that came down, I believe, yesterday. Uh, this action arises out of defendants' alleged concerted efforts to blacklist plaintiff Niemann, a 19-year-old chess prodigy from the world of professional chess. Neiman alleges that after he defeated the highest-ranked chess player in history, which is Carlson, um, Carlson falsely accused Neiman of cheating, withdrew from the tournament, and thereafter began a campaign, along with the other defendants, to defame Neiman and exclude him from professional chess competitions. I'm going to gloss over the other defendants and so on, but Neiman alleges the merger... Uh, of all of these uh, companies that he's suing uh, was an attempt to monopolize what he terms the competitive chess market. So he's suing not just Carlson, but Chess.com. And um, in the last few years, Chess.com has taken on a very, very big role in the chess world. And online chess has become a really, really big thing. And so he's saying that this is not just these people who've defamed him, but these people who've defamed him along with these other businesses. And he says that in essence, these businesses are working together in an attempt to make their businesses make more money, but for certain people. And so he's saying there's in essence uh, uh, an unfair trade competition here, a uh, claim that he can make under the Sherman Antitrust Act which, of course, is 15 U.S.C., uh, <laughs> sections 1 and 2. Uh, he further asserts state law claims against all defendants for slander, libel, tortious interference with contract and business expectancies, and civil conspiracy. He also asserts a breach of contract claim against Chess.com, alleging that Chess.com unlawfully revoked an invitation to him to participate in one of the events. He also seeks damages under the Clayton Act, but you need to know that the Clayton Act and the Sherman Act are federal laws. They're federal statutes. The other claims he's got, like slander, libel, tortious interference, uh, and breach of contract, are state claims. And that's extremely important here. So the court allowed 
limited jurisdictional discovery. The parties filed status reports, and then the uh, defendants filed motions to dismiss this case. Uh, and for the reasons set forth bef- below, the court will grant defendants motions to dismiss for failure to state a claim as to Neiman's federal antitrust claims only and will decline supplemental jurisdiction over Neiman's remaining state law claims without reaching defendants' alternative arguments. So you have to understand that in our system, we've got two court systems, the federal system and the state systems. In Michigan, there's the state system that is below the Michigan Supreme Court. And then there's the federal system, which is run by the feds and goes up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I'm really, really trying to simplify this for you. For a case to be in state court, you have a state claim, you sue somebody, you wind up in state court. For a claim to be in federal court and to stay there requires one of two things. And one of them is that you have a federal question, which is a federal statute and a few other things. But you have a federal statute that belongs in federal court. Okay, Some federal claims can be heard in state court and some state court claims can be heard in federal court. But the federal courts will require you to explain why you are there. And one of them is a federal question and a mountain controversy, a few other things. And then the other way you can get there is diversity of the parties. So that if I'm in Michigan and you're in California and I sue you in Michigan state court, you can come here and have the case removed to federal court under many circumstances because it'll give you a more even playing field than getting hometown in a state court by someone who's suing you from the state that they're in and you're not. So diversity is what they call that, where the parties are from different states, okay? So here, it appears that Neiman's case would be in federal court if the federal questions survived. So the court addressed those and said those do not belong in this court. And they don't belong there because... He failed to state a claim. And failure to state a claim is one of the many reasons you can have a case dismissed before trial. And that is the legal concept that if I read your complaint, even if every word of it was true, you still wouldn't have a cause of action that this court can hear. And so there's something fatal in the pleadings. Now, you can often amend your pleadings, but it appears he amended them once already. And despite the amendment, the court says you still fail to state a claim. It's Federal Rule 12b-6. Uh, in Michigan, be MCR 2.116 C8, I believe. The following facts are taken from Neiman's second amended complaint. The court will also consider documents that are necessarily embraced by the pleadings, and they then discuss the competitive chess market and discuss how that could be or whether it could be a marketplace that's ruled by the Sherman Antitrust Act and the Clayton Act. Goes through a discussion of what chess.com is and how it's grown to be what it is with respect to the community. Uh, There's a program called Play Magnus, which of course has to do with Magnus Carlson, and they have a relationship in this community. Also, chess.com merged with Play Magnus, And that, of course, means that these uh, companies are getting together. And then it all came to a head when Neiman uh, went to the Sinkfeld Cup. And at that, he had a surprise victory over Carlson. That was in St. Louis in September of 2022. 
and according to the complaint, effectively dashed Carlson's two remaining statistical ambitions, namely achieving a 2,900 FIDA performance rating for the first time in history and breaking his own world record unbeaten streak in FIDE-sanctioned events, both of which would have solidified Carlson as arguably the greatest chess player of all time and uh, make his chess um, empire even more valuable. Neiman alleges that as a result of this upset win, Carlson retaliated against him by falsely accusing Neiman of cheating during the match and demanding that the tournament organizers immediately disqualify him, even though Carlson had no legitimate basis to suspect Neiman of cheating. And then when organizers refused to DQ Neiman, Carlson withdrew from the tournament. So there's all kinds of stuff that followed those uh, actions and accusations. And it got to the point where many people in the chess.com community and the chess community in general were bandying this idea back and forth about whether or not Neiman cheated. And it's extremely complicated. And I do play a little bit of chess, but I'm not going to get heavily into it. But they now have chess engines, which is a fancy name for a chess program, that it can analyze chess games move by move. And they are so good that, number one, they can beat human players all day long. It's, it's, it's gotten to be silly to the point of how good they are. Uh, and many people thought that would never happen, and here we are. Uh, but the other thing is that if you had access to a chess engine while you were playing somebody else, you could beat them all day long under most circumstances. Uh, in, a, in a blitz game where you've only got like a couple seconds to make your moves, it might be difficult to cheat like that without getting caught. But generally speaking, in an over-the-board traditional game, uh, somebody who had access to information from a chess engine could win. Uh, and so the allegation was that that could have been what he was doing. The interesting thing, though, of course, is that nobody ever presented any evidence other than studying moves statistically and wondering whether or not that was a human making those moves or whether or not those were moves inspired by a higher intelligence such as a chess engine. So it got down to the point where Neiman said, Carlson did all this and including, he said, I'm not going to play in any tournaments that Neiman's in. Won't do it. And so Neiman says that Carlson knew that no tournament organizer would choose to invite Neiman to play in an event if it meant that Carlson would not attend. He also alleges that shortly after Carlson's above-noted posts on Twitter where he talks about this, Chess.com and other people in the community leaked to the media old emails uh, in which uh, there may have been some admissions about some cheating in the past, and so it got real ugly real fast. And then Chess.com issued a report, which I read, by the way, uh, in which they said that they analyzed some of Neiman's games and they came to the conclusion that they believed he was cheating in online games also. And it didn't help his case any that he apparently admitted to cheating in some games much, much earlier in his career when it didn't matter, where he's just playing online but that didn't look good. So there were other alleged consequences of these accusations. Uh, Neiman had previously arranged for a match against a teenage grandmaster, Vincent Kamar, to be hosted in Germany. But Kamar has now refused to play in the match, specifically based on the accusations of cheating against Neiman. 
And Neiman alleges that Carlson's refusal to participate in any tournament that invites Neiman, combined with Chess.com's banning of Neiman from its events, threatens to cut Neiman off from the vast majority of tournaments. And in a typical year, Neiman could expect to participate in approximately 15 major tournaments, each of which, he says, would have generated him approximately five dollars to $15,000 in appearance fees, uh, access to potential cash prizes of up to $100,000, and would provide him the opportunity to play matches against highly rated competitors, which would increase his rating also. So he says, look, these people got together. They conspired against me. They did bad things. They slandered me, libeled me, defamed me. Uh, they interfered with my ability to make a living as a chess player. And they've done this all wrongfully. Okay? So he filed the lawsuit. Second amended complaint asserts the following causes of action. One, slander. Two, libel. Three, Clayton Act. Four, uh, Sherman Act. And there's actually Sherman Act, Clayton Act, both in three and four. And what you need to remember is the first three are state claims. Slander, libel. Um, and the breach of contract and tortious interference are state claims. Each defendant argues that Neiman fails to plausibly allege an antitrust injury or the other required elements of a federal antitrust claim. They also argue that Neiman's state law counts are subject to Connecticut's anti-strategic lawsuits against public participation or SLAP statute and should be dismissed under that statute and that the state law counts fail to state a plausible claim for relief in any event. The defendants further seek dismissal for lack of personal jurisdiction, and Chess.com separately seeks dismissal of the breach of contract claim for failure to state a claim, or alternatively, because the contract claim is subject to a binding arbitration provision. So if it's there, it might be uh, enforceable. So personal jurisdiction over the defendants. As noted above, while all defendants seek dismissal for failure to state a claim, several defendants seek dismissal for lack of personal jurisdiction. A federal court generally may not rule on the merits of a case without first determining that it has jurisdiction over the category of claim in the suit and the parties, which is personal jurisdiction. However, as discussed below, Neiman has failed to state a federal antitrust claim. The above noted provisions cannot provide a basis for personal jurisdiction. With respect to the venue and service of process language of the Clayton Act, but holding that because the plaintiff failed to adequately plead a federal antitrust claim, these jurisdictional options drop out of the case and the court need not address the issue. Nor need the court reach the question of personal jurisdiction with respect to Neiman's state law claims because, as noted below, the court will decline to exercise subject matter jurisdiction over those claims. Therefore, the court turns to defendants' other arguments for dismissal. So, the federal antitrust claims. To survive a motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim under Rule 12b-6, plaintiff's claims must contain sufficient factual matter accepted as true to state a claim for relief that is plausible on its face. The reviewing court accepts the plaintiff's factual allegations as true for this motion and draws all reasonable inferences in favor of the non-moving party. So that would be Neiman here. But courts are not bound to accept as true a legal conclusion couched as a factual allegation, and factual allegations must be enough to raise a right to relief above the speculative level. There is no heightened pleading requirement for antitrust claims. So uh, Neiman asserts 
claims under one and two of the Sherman Act, both of which apply to professional sports operating interstate. Section one of the act prohibits every contract combination in the form of trust or otherwise or conspiracy in restraint of trade. This section only governs conduct between separate entities. Further, not every agreement that restrains competition violates this. Rather, federal courts have understood the section to outlaw only unreasonable restraints. Neiman asserts that defendants violated by conspiring to refuse to deal with him, including by Chess.com banning him from its platform and by Carlson refusing to play against him. Neiman alleges that these actions constituted an unlawful group boycott against him participating in the competitive chess market. As noted above, Neiman defines the competitive chess market as professional chess tournaments and online recreational chess platforms. Section 2 of the Sherman Act governs the conduct of a single firm, and such conduct is unlawful only when it threatens actual monopolization. Uh, Neiman argues this attempt was carried out by Chess.com acquiring Play Magnus and by Chess.com using its monopolistic power to try to control which chess players participated in the competitive chess market. As the Supreme Court has noted repeatedly, Congress enacted the antitrust laws to protect competition, not competitors. Thus, to recover damages under the Clayton Act for a violation of either one or two, a plaintiff must prove the existence of antitrust injury, which is to say injury of the type the antitrust laws were intended to prevent. So this requires the plaintiff be the target of the anti-competitive activity, not one who has merely suffered indirect, secondary, or remote injury. Antitrust injury should reflect the anti-competitive effect either of the violation or of anti-competitive acts made possible by the violation. It should, in short, be the type of loss that the claimed violations would likely be to cause. This showing requires proof that the possibilities for alleged harm to uh, competition actually existed and the competition was diminished. The inquiry is dispositive if the injury alleged or proven is not an antitrust injury. Plaintiff does not have a claim cognizable under the antitrust laws in those cases. Neiman fails to plausibly allege an antitrust injury. Again, Neiman defines the competitive chess market as professional chess tournaments and online recreational chess platforms. But Neiman's alleged injuries are not connected to any harm to competition in the market. Neiman does not even compete in this market as he operates neither a professional chess tournament nor an online recreational chess platform. For example, even assuming without deciding that Neiman has plausibly alleged that Chess.com's decision to ban Neiman from its platform and Carlson's decision not to play against Neiman were the products of a conspiracy among all defendants, the injury allegedly resulting from this conspiracy is an injury to Neiman alone, not to competition. So these laws are designed to foster competition and prevent anti-competition action in these industries. And the people harmed by that are the ones who can bring the claims. So it would be people within that industry. A competitor of chess.com could bring this action, but not Neiman is what the court's saying here. Nor can Neiman plausibly allege an antitrust injury resulting from chess.com's merger with Play Magnus. Neiman appears to argue that the merger is anti-competitive because it eliminates competition among online recreational chess platforms. Whether or not that is true, 
the alleged target of such an anti-competitive merger would be other online recreational chess platforms, not Neiman. So he doesn't have that cause of action. Although Neiman's antitrust claims may be dismissed for failure to plead antitrust injury, the claims also suffer from other defects. With respect to his group boycott claim, as noted above, the Sherman Act only proscribes unreasonable restraints of trade. The parties devote much of their briefs to debating whether the alleged group boycott of Neiman on the chess.com platform should be considered a per se or presumptively unreasonable restraint or whether it should instead be analyzed under the so-called rule of reason under which the court must consider the actual effect of the restraint on the relevant market. The court agrees with defendants that Neiman's ban from chess.com for alleged cheating is likely subject to the rule of reason and as facially neutral rules that prohibit cheating are essential to promote fair competition and to preserve the integrity of the game, chess.com's enforcement of its anti-cheating rule would not constitute an illegal boycott. Even if Neiman's ban from the platform should be analyzed under the per se approach, he would still fail to state a claim because, as discussed above, the ban here is not plausibly tied to an anti-competitive intent or effect. Neiman has not plausibly alleged that the ban was intended to or did result in anti-competitive effects in the competitive chess market, which would be between chess.com and its competitors, not its users or participants. Neiman's ban resulted from his alleged violation of chess.com's rules regarding cheating. As noted above, he has not plausibly alleged that chess.com's enforcement of its rules, whether fair or not, as applied to him, adversely affected competition among the professional chess tournaments and online recreational chess platforms that comprise the competitive chess market. So the judge is going to dismiss these federal claims. In a short paragraph at the end of his opposition, Neiman requested leave to amend his complaint should the court conclude that any of his claims were deficient. But Neiman has neither submitted a proposed amended complaint nor indicated how he could cure his failure to state an antitrust claim. Moreover, he has already amended his complaint twice, including in response to substantially similar motions to dismiss, raising these issues, and failed to cure the noted deficiencies. Further leave to amend in this respect would be futile. Resistance is futile. And the court will thus dismiss the antitrust claims with prejudice. Those claims are dismissed and they cannot be refiled. Now, they can appeal this, and an appellate court could reverse this, but as of right now, they're dead in the water. Now we get to the state law claims, and this is important. Uh, In the usual case where all federal claims are dismissed, the balance of factors to be considered under the supplemental jurisdiction doctrine will point toward declining to exercise jurisdiction over the remaining state law claims. So a court could... If it wanted to, if the law allowed it to, court could say, we've thrown out all your federal claims, but we'll still hear your state court claims. But they're not going to. They're going to say these belong in state court. So given the early stage of this case and the court's dismissal of all federal claims, the court will exercise its discretion to decline supplemental jurisdiction over Neiman's state law claims and to dismiss those claims without prejudice. So that's something that I saw some people miss uh, yesterday, 
And the federal claims were dismissed with prejudice. State law claims dismissed without. So he could theoretically refile those claims in a state court. So in conclusion, it is hereby ordered that defendants' motions to dismiss plaintiff's second amended complaint are granted in part as set forth above. And it discusses various counts and so on being dismissed with prejudice for failure to state a claim. However, the court declines to exercise supplemental jurisdiction over the remaining counts, which are dismissed without prejudice. It's further ordered the defendant's joint motion to stay the Rule 16 conference is dismissed as moot. All claims against all parties having been resolved, the court will enter a separate order of dismissal. This case is over. That's the final order dismissing the case that's going to get filed. So the long and short of it, as my dear friend Ian Linklip likes to say, (laughs) is that he made these allegations that he was blackballed from this industry and slandered at great loss and suffering to him. And he says they got together and they did this. They conspired. It appeared to be a nefarious conspiracy. And they violated federal laws regarding antitrust and monopolies. Okay, uh, and, and then they also did bad things to me. The bad things they did to him would be state law claims, and the antitrust stuff would be federal. He filed the whole thing in federal court. Federal judge looked at it after he amended his complaint twice and said, this does not survive 12B6 motion because the allegations you're making are that you were a participant in the marketplace and these people conspired to rig the marketplace. However, these laws aren't designed to protect you. They're designed to protect the competitors of these people. Someone else who has a chess platform could come forward and go, hey, these actions you're taking right here are messing the marketplace up and it's hurting me. But they're not designed to protect you, a mere participant or a consumer in that marketplace. So your federal claims are being dismissed with prejudice. You cannot revive them. They're dead. However, the state law claims are dismissed in such a way that you can refile them in state court if you want to. So we'll see what happens because he can do one of two things here besides doing nothing, which would be three. One is he could appeal this in federal appeals court. Federal court of appeals could be a thing he could do. So he could file an appeal of this up there. Or he could say, you know something, let's walk away from that and refile it as a state action someplace. And he could do that on the claims that are state court claims. Slander, libel, breach of contract, and so on. Those are the possibilities. But as of right now, He's lost this case, and uh, he's got to now go to a different different venue. So there you go. We'll see what happens. I apologize for the length of the video. It was a 33-page opinion. <laughs> and I still have a little tiny bit of this happening in my chest. I'm, I'm, I'm over the cold. I really am. But it's just, you know, that lingering effect. So uh, questions or comments, put them below. There's a talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Campers are nature's way of feeding mosquitoes.